In the 21st verse of Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's what I'd like us to stop and consider here this morning as we're gathered together in this place to worship the Lord. And as we look at this verse, this statement that Paul makes, really two things that he says that are tied so closely together. He says, to to live is Christ and to die is gain. Looking into this verse is, for us, a kind of spiritual checkup. You know, sometimes when you get up in the morning and you take your shower or, or before your shower, you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And if, if one day you wake up and you see yourself and the colors drain from your face and your eyes are, are red and you're looking at yourself, you can see something's not right, that you're not feeling as healthy or you're not looking as, as uh, energetic as you normally would expect to. And it might be a a sign to you that something is not right with your body. Something's not right with your health. Well, as we look into this uh, statement that the Apostle Paul, a disciple of Jesus, one who's, who dedicated his life to serving him, as we look into this statement that he made, let it be a kind of spiritual checkup for us as we reflect on our own condition. Can we truly from our heart express the same kind of sentiment that Paul expressed here when he made this statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It occurs to me as we're gathered in this place that so much about the ordinances and uh, worship of the church causes us to cast our attention upon life and death. We're dealing here with the most important things. This is not something trifling. This is not something small and meaningless. But we reflect on death and on life when we come together and we worship. And certainly this setting is a reminder of that. As we look out our doors, we see the graves of those who have gone before and are buried in those places. And this is a reminder of both death and and of life as well. The lives that they lived... In the, in the times before, that life uh, comes to its appointed end with death. But also, the, even the act of burial itself is a testimony of a faith in resurrection. In a God that raises the dead. That is why uh, bodies are buried in the ground and not just discarded. Because there is, it is done with faith and with a testimony that we believe in a God who raises bodies from the graves. We believe in a God who raises the dead, a God who is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so we're reminded in that of death and of life. Not only that, but in the ordinances of the church and the ordinance of baptism itself. Baptism in all the great elements that it signifies, one of the things that it signifies to us is burial and resurrection. It says that we are buried with Him in baptism. Therefore, we are also risen with Him by the faith of the operation of God. And so in the physical, tangible, visible signification of that rite of baptism, we see a body going down, buried underneath the water, and rising again anew. 
and there's a, there's a symbolism there that that life is dying to the old and rising again to the new life. And that life is the life of Jesus Christ. And then I also think about when we partake of the Lord's Supper and we partake of the bread and the wine, it says that when we do this, that we do show the Lord's death till he come. That when we partake of the bread, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This was a reminder of how his flesh was torn upon the cross for the sake of his people, for their deliverance. And when he uh, gives them the cup, he says, this is the New Testament in my blood. Telling them, testifying to them that his blood would be shed for the remission of their sins. That, that, and that the bringing in of the new covenant, which God had foretold and promised, the new arrangement, the new order of God's creation that would come, that it would be inaugurated by the shedding of blood, the offering of a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God, the fulfillment of the all the Old Testament sacrifices that pointed forward the Day of Atonement and that the New Covenant would be inaugurated by the shedding of His blood. So He signifies in this His death. But not only that, at the same time as we partake of those things, we're reminded that He said to His disciples, He said, I am the bread of life. He said, He that cometh to Me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And he reminds us in that ordinance as we partake of the bread and we partake of the wine. He reminds us through that tangible uh, ordinance that he is the sustenance of our spiritual existence, of our spiritual life. He is the nourishment that we need. And isn't that also why we come here? Why we gather together to sing praises to His name, to hear His word, to fellowship with His people. Because we need His nourishment. We need our spirits, our souls to be fed by the Son of God. By the love of God flowing to us through all the blessings that He pours out into our lives. And so in all of this, we're reminded of the fundamental truth of life and death. Sometimes the cares of this world and the distractions of life, uh, good things or bad, whether it's uh, sin and, and it's deceitfulness or whether it's the good things of our life, our work and our relationships and the things that we do for pleasure and the things that we enjoy, they can uh, sometimes be a distraction to us from the reality of our existence. And sometimes we feel like we need that distraction. We don't want to think about the fact of our mortality. We don't want to think about the fact that our time here on this earth is for just a season. But as we come to our face-to-face with reality, we're reminded of that truth. Life and death. Death and life. And so let us stop and consider today for a moment how a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was often himself face to face with death, thought about these things. This is what he said. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's meditate on that. And first, uh, consider the context of this because uh, this begins with a for. He's saying... uh, you know, that there's some context to what he's saying before this. So let's go back a few verses here. Um, he says, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. This is quite a striking statement that he makes here. Here is Paul. Get into his head for a moment. Think about what motivated him. He wanted more than anything else for the announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth and for God's people to hear it and to receive it, to be, to be transformed by that truth in their lives, to come to the knowledge of His grace and the fulfillment of God's promises in Him. He wanted to see Christ preached. And now he says, you know, I'm looking out and I'm seeing what's happening and I see that there are people that for... Some twisted motivation, uh, they, they want to increase strife. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for bad motivations. At the same time, there are others that are preaching the gospel of Christ out of good motivations, for goodwill. The one preached Christ, he says, of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Imagine that for a moment. There were people... Specifically, who were out there preaching Christ so that they could make things worse on Paul. How, how do you think he would respond to that? He says, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. He says, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know, at the end of the day, for Paul... He didn't take it personally. He wasn't so focused on himself. He said, you know, there's some people out there preaching. They're trying to stir up trouble so that my affliction is worse. But you know what? You know what I care about more than that? That Christ is preached. And he wanted nothing to stand in the way of that. Because he knew how powerful that message was that was being preached. He knew how powerful it was for the name of Jesus Christ to go out into the world for people to hear that message and to be transformed by it. And so he says, I rejoice and I'll rejoice. He says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So this was the driving motivation of his heart. That in his life, whether it be by life, whether it be by what he's able to do in service, to God and to God's people here in this life, or whether it be by his death, that in all of those things, that God would be magnified, that Christ would be glorified. That was the desire of his soul. And so when he says this statement, to live is Christ, to die is gain, it's not some trite uh, statement that he's making. 
He's not saying this lightly because he knew, he very well knew that, in fact, death may be the end result of his discipleship for Jesus Christ. Not a natural one, but an unnatural one brought about by because of the testimony of Christ that was in his life. He goes on, he says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not, for I am in a bestrait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he saw the good in both. You know, Paul was so captivated in his relationship with Jesus Christ and, and with an awareness that he was living out the life of Christ in him. That when he thought about death, in fact, he thought about it not as something that he feared, not as something that he regretted, but in fact, something that part of him desired. But it was with conflict. And there will always be that conflict, that, that feeling of conflict when we view death. Because he saw that to depart was to be with Christ. To enter into the presence of Christ in a way in which he would never experience here below. But that it was necessary also for him to remain here that he might labor in the service of his Savior for the benefit of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, it's more needful for you. He says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know what he would desire more. And so we see that uh, it is not out of a, a hatred of life. It wasn't out of some... Uh, profound sorrow that he felt. It was, in fact, uh, being torn between two great, glorious things. To live and to serve Christ here in this life, or to depart and to be with Christ. And so, that begins to give us a picture of what it means for him to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's stop for a moment on that first part of that statement. For me to live is Christ. If we in this life have the life of Jesus Christ in us, then to live in this life is to live his life. To live is Christ. Paul put it this way in another place in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He said... I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there is so much packed into that. And it's, con- and it's confounding to the natural mind, but to the spiritual mind... This is glorious to consider. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Paul recognized that when Jesus Christ was put to death on the cross, that he was there with him. His old self 
his sin, his, his uh, slavery to the law, his self-righteousness, everything about his old ways and his old life was crucified there, was put to death on the cross with Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So he says, I put to death, but I live. I live. But how, how does he live? How does he live now if he was in fact put to death? He says, the, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He lives with a new life. There's a new spiritual life in him that has been placed there. By Jesus Christ, and it is the very Spirit of Christ Himself dwelling in Him. That is now His life, it is now His His being, it is now the thing that animates and and drives Him. It is His all in all, is Christ in Him. And He realizes that from henceforth, He's living out in this life, the life of Christ. And this, this has very practical consequences for His life. And your life as well. That he is no longer here living this life to advance his own purpose, his own aspirations, his own goals, his own person, his own glory. But he is here for Christ. He previously lived unto self. He previously lived, he he describes it this way, seeking to establish his own righteousness. And he would say, he said, that those things, those things, uh, for example, his, um, his status of his righteousness under the law, his uh, status as a Hebrew of Hebrews, his status as being trained by the uh, most prominent rabbi of his day and brought up in all the ordinances and traditions of his, of his forefathers, And all those things that were combined together to establish his own righteousness under the law. He says, all those things I count but loss. I count them as nothing. I count them as dumb that I may win Christ. He counted those things as loss. He says, Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He lived by the faith of the Son of God, by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It, that, that, was the, that was the driving force of his life. That was his whole life now. And he did so driven by the love of of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is the driving motivation of your life, is the, the thing that gives you purpose and meaning in this life, that your hope and your aspirations, is it founded upon this truth that Jesus Christ loved you and gave himself for you? Something that you and I, none of us, was worthy of or earned, but was given freely out of the love that He has for us. If you know that, then you know who you are. 
You know truly who you are in Jesus Christ. That loved me, he says, and gave himself for me. Uh, In Psalm 118, the psalmist says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. There's no greater purpose to our life than for our lives to be a living sacrifice unto God. Where we are shining forth His works. Declaring them. uh, Manifesting them to the world. Being as Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's no greater purpose that you could have in this life than to have your life be shining forth the glory of God. And how can you do that? You can't do it of yourself. It can't be your own life flowing forth. It's not your own good works. It is the light of the life of Jesus Christ. Because that same one who said, you are the light of the world. He said in another place, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so, if you have the life of Christ in you, then your life, I mean, it's an understatement to say it takes on a whole new dimension of meaning. Because it's everything. It's everything. If you have the life of Christ living in you, then your purpose in life is to live out that life, to manifest it. To not let it get hid under a bushel, but to let it shine before men. To live out that life of Christ. To serve Him To live for Him. He says, but if I live after the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. He knows that his laboring was no longer, he was no longer laboring to earn righteousness before God. He was no longer laboring to obtain the praise and the glory of men. He was now laboring that the life and glory of Jesus Christ might be manifested in the lives of those he served. That they might see Christ in him. Uh, He writes in another place, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then in Romans 14, verses 7 through 9, he says this, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. There's a great comfort and peace in this, and also a great inspiration and motivation for our lives. If we could see this, he says, he says, we don't live for to ourselves. None of us lives to ourselves and none of us dies to ourselves. But we live unto the Lord, whether we live or die. We are the Lord's. We belong to him. It says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the creation that God made. He made to display His glory and for His creation to enjoy 
His glory and His wisdom and His beauty, His majesty. You know, it's all around us. Sometimes clouded by sin and the, and the decay and the results of sin in this world. But His glory is all around us. We, we see it uh, in, in small ways and big ways. His glory is on display before us. And He has created all these things to, to manifest His glory. And, and in a special way, He has created mankind to have dominion over His creation. And to manifest His glory and to bear His image in this world. Of all that God created, it was of mankind that He said, and He created man in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female created He them. He made them in His image, in His likeness. And so in a special way, we are created to manifest and live out the glory of God in His creation. To display His glory. And we belong to Him. You belong to To the God who created you. Your life is not your own. And if you have. If you have the. Son of God in your life. If you have Jesus Christ in your life. Then then this is also true of you. It says you are not your own. You are bought. With a price. Therefore glorify God. In your body. And in your spirit. Which are God's. You're not your own. And that's a, that's a good thing. You know, we... we in, in the flesh, we'd like to pursue what pleases us. But that's not how you want to live your life. That's not, that's not what you ultimately want. You want to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And so... It says, we are the Lord's, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and living. He's the Lord of the dead and the living. And, you know, sometimes language uh, seems to to fall short of um, our understanding, because... Sometimes there's a paradox. Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. But dead is used in different ways. Sometimes he uses the word sleep. Jesus often used the word sleep. Because he wanted to distinguish that there was something different of a body dying and being laid in the grave from what he often spoke of as death. And so sometimes language is used in in different ways, but he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. That means that the saints of God that are gathered today in this place that have the physical ability to open up our mouths and sing forth these songs, uh, to raise up these songs of praise to God, and also the saints of God that lived 100, 150, 200 years ago, and whose bodies are buried in the graves outside of this place, that God is the God of all of us. And He has power over both life and death. That is that as you live, and you live each day today, God has power over your life. 
You know, and, and that's why we say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Because we know that even getting up in the morning, stepping out of our beds and standing up on our own two feet, we only do by the will and the power of God. So God has power over our lives. And God also has power over death as well. God has the power and the will and the purpose that at His appointed time, He will take those dead bodies and raise them up out of the grave to newness of life. Because He's a God that is able and willing to raise the dead. John writes this, 1 John uh, chapter 5, he says, This is the record that God has given us to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. If you have the life, if you have the Son of God, if you have the life of the Son of God living in you, then you can say with Paul, to me, to live is Christ. And there is no higher calling. He also says, and to die is gain. I don't know if this is something we think about too often. We see death for the uh, enemy that it is, naturally. But if, if you've experienced the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ, if you truly know in your conscience what has been declared in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross, you know that your sins are forgiven. And you know to appear before God, because it says, it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. If you know that you today could appear before God and you appear before God cleansed of all of your sins... That, that when God looks upon you, even right now, right this moment, when God looks down upon you, He doesn't see a filthy, dirty sinner. But He sees His precious bride cleansed in the blood of Christ, clothed in glorious, cleansed, clean garments, beautiful and precious. In his sight. If you know that God, that's how God sees his people when he looks upon you, then the sting of death, which is sin, it's removed, it's gone. Death has lost its sting, it's lost its power. And you can say, like Paul can say, to die is gain. Paul, Paul speaks in other places about gain and loss. He counted all the things that he previously thought were gain. When he was trying to establish his own righteousness, when he thought, when he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, that he was doing God's service, when he, when he was admired by the leaders of the people, when he was a rising star among the, 
uh, among the leaders of the Jews, when he looked back on that, it says he counted, those are the things he counted gain, but now he counted them loss. He counted them loss. What did he count gain? The knowledge of Jesus Christ. The, resurrect, the power of His resurrection. Serving Him in this life. Sacrificing for Him. Suffering for Him. He counted those things as gain. And also, when He looked at what it meant to die, He saw to die as gain. Because as much as He enjoyed and lived out the the enjoyment of the presence of Jesus Christ in his life here, he saw that there was coming a time for him when he would no longer see through a glass dimly, but that he would enter into, unhindered by the flesh, he would enter into the glorious presence of his Savior. And he would dwell with him forever. And so he could say, to die is gain. It takes away the fear of death. It says, perfect love casts out fear. A disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't have to fear death. But but there is part of us that can look forward to it. Not that we would desire to be taken out of this world before God's appointed time for us. Because we have something to do here. We have a purpose here. In fact, I see as he says this, to live is Christ, that to him to die is gain because for him to live was Christ. Because he was living the life of Christ here in this life, he could look forward to death as gain. And not only that, but because to die is gain, because what he looked forward to was the presence of his Savior for all eternity. That as he served him here below in this life, he looked forward to serving him eternally, laboring for him in his heavenly vineyard forever, unhindered by the flesh and by sin, because to die is gain for him he could say, to live is Christ. And the two are so intimately tied together, the one and the other, that, that as he looked forward to that, uh, as, he, as he says, think about it this way too, in 1 Corinthians 15 is that long passage where he's reasoning about the truth of the resurrection from the dead. And there were some that said there is no resurrection of the dead. And that must, have been a, that must have been a miserable existence for those people. Imagine, imagine having no hope after this life. And Paul says after, after in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, if you read that sometime, remind yourself those things, how he reasons about the resurrection from the dead. First, because Jesus himself rose from the dead. Do you need any more proof than that, that God raises the dead? He raised His Son from the dead. And if He raised His Son from the dead, He will also quicken our mortal bodies, it says. But after all that reasoning about the resurrection from the dead, He says that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
So the, everything that you have done and will do in your service to God here in this life, it's not in vain. It's not pointless. In fact, it is part of something great that God is doing and will do. And so you can look at your life here, not not as meaningless because you're setting it up against the eternal, which seems so much greater and more magnificent. But in fact, it is that that we look forward to that gives our life here purpose and meaning that allows us to enjoy with a fullness of joy what blessings God pours out upon us here and now because we know that they are part of something glorious and eternal that God is doing and has by His grace and by His mercy made, brought us into and He's done so again by the precious blood of His Son Jesus Christ by, by His death and His life. We have both been able to die to our old life and rise to newness of life and live in Him eternally. So may we reflect on these things. And when we look at our lives, if we don't find ourselves driven by that same motivation and confidence and peace and joy that are expressed in these words, to live is Christ and to die is gain then may we be reminded of these things and may God revive us in our spirits. And may we set our affections back on what truly matters, what truly is important. And that is the life of Christ and what He's done for us in this life. Thank you for your attention.